Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson continues our series of messages on the Gospel according to Mark, today looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And now, here's Phil. Gospel of Mark that we're working our way through, the overarching theme of our uh, Gospel is the fact that Jesus claimed who he was, and in so claiming, he reminded his hearers that he was he came as a servant. And he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. So we're turning now this morning to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at uh, what we find here from the Lord together. Begin with a story. At Butler Lake, when I was growing up, and I have to remember to switch slides. That's Butler Lake near Raymore, where I grew up at the Northland Bible Camp. When I was growing up there, there were two summer camps besides Northland Bible Camp. There was a Boy Scout camp along the lake not far from us. It was a go-to place for campers to take a short hike through the pine forest and have an outdoor cookout there. Uh, and that was true for many of the camp sessions. Also of interest to me, as a young teenager, was the second camp that was across the lake from the Boy Scout camp. It was the Girl Guide camp. Somebody, I haven't told this story before, I'm sure of that, especially when my dad was still here. A friend of mine who was staying with me for a couple of days during a, a girls' camp and I were looking for some adventures. I gave my parents a story about going to camp that we would go overnight uh, to the Boy Scout camp for some fun. Unrevealed in that ask to my parents was our real plan, which was to go over and scout out the Girl Guide camp for some new female friends. We canoed across the lake in the late evening, but after a short encounter with a few of the girls, the leader spotted us and told us to get away from there. She probably also heard my friend, he was the more aggressive of the two of us, trying to make plans with a girl while leaving that we would try and come back there for a visit. So we extended our stay at the Boy Scout camp for a second day and decided to try and see them again. Making a long story short, we went just after dark, parked the canoe along the shore, and tried walking into the camp to say hi. Well, their protective leader had us figured out. And had the girls during the, and had the girls during the day build a surprise protection should we try something. They dug a pit and covered it with twigs designed to entrap whoever might come along. <laughs> Fortunately, there were two of us and when my friend stepped onto the trap, I was able to rescue him before he fell to the pointed small poles that were facing upwards at the bottom of the hole. Together we ran as fast as we could to get away from the that police lady. The point being that she had laid quite a trap to ensure the safety of the girls. And we certainly were entrapped in what we were trying to achieve. And she sure turned the trap on us to teach us some lessons. Before us this morning is an entrapment that was planned by the desires of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ruling body of the Sanhedrin along with the Sadducees, and they were 
very much very interested in this upstart preacher from the north who is preaching the gospel of God uh, to them. In our previous studies in Mark, we have traced the meetings between Jesus and the Pharisees. From the Pharisees, clearly they were collectively against Jesus from the beginning. As early as Mark chapter 3 and verse 6, they began to plot how they might get rid of him. And just to summarize some of the other other meetings that they had, we recognize from other speakers that they were blinded by their religion to the to the point that they could not see who Jesus was in front of them. They were absorbed in their position of privilege, wealth, power, and lifestyle, that they would do everything possible to keep those things at any cost. They had turned what God had given to them in his creation, the choice of his people, the laws, and his call to be in relationship with him into a series of burdensome laws and works by which they preached that you could go to heaven by earning your righteousness before God. Jesus described them as being like a yeast that spread their evil ways, that permeated them and tried to rule others in those same things, where their hearts were against God, even though all that they were doing was claimed in the name of God. So the question before us in the chapter I would like to suggest is, what entraps us and learn the lessons of the Pharisees? It's easy to speak against a group that do not know God. It's easy to say, well, you're missing the boat when all of us have sinned and come short of God's glories. All of us do not earn a place with God by who we are. We need to find him and all that he gives to us through his grace and love and the work that Jesus did while he was here on the earth. Let's begin by reading Mark chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, at least partway through verse 2. Jesus then left that place. He had been in Capernaum in the north, and I've, I've uh, enclosed a little bit of a, a uh, Brother Eve, uh, my life has gone uh, in very deep turmoil here. Oh, here we are. Jesus then left that place, Capernaum. He had been ministering up in the, that's why. Uh, he had been ministering up in the north of, of uh, Israel, as it was known at the time, in a village of Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And he left that place uh, and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan, which is highlighted in the second arrow. And that uh, is not very far, as you can see, from Jerusalem, where the Pharisees undoubtedly had come from. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them, and some Pharisees came. It's easy to skip over the time and geography of what the Lord is doing in this trip, uh, but I just wanted to highlight a few things. Jesus was nearing the end of his three-year public ministry while he was here on earth, and he has started towards Jerusalem, where he would very soon be crucified, as we so well know. And he is just, as we read this chapter, only days away from his arrival there. Uh, of one thing I want to note in passing is that this region was under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas, the tetrarch who divorced his wife so that he could marry the younger, prettier Herodias. Also of notice, note, and I have already done that, that Jerusalem was only a short travel away for the Pharisees, 
to be dispatched from Jerusalem to confront Jesus and seek to entrap him uh, in what they had cooked up between themselves and undoubtedly the other leaders uh, of the Sanhedrin. So Jesus moves towards Jerusalem and the Pharisees uh, gather not just to question him and test him, but I believe to uh, try to trap him in what he said in answer to their uh, in answer to their plot. It is my sense that this is a group of high level Pharisee leaders uh, uh, and they were uh, there to just do that, to try and clear Jesus from uh, from their country and uh, take away the threat he was becoming to their power and influence among the Jewish people. There is a relevant backstory I just we need to pick up on, and it's it's told uh, been told a little bit already. Not all commentators and interpreters connect the story that's before us to our understanding of the main texts that are there today. I think it can't be left out, however, to de- determine the nature of the test and that it was a test and the nature of the test that they were putting before the trap that they were putting before uh, Jesus. <clears throat> we we uh, know this story well and I won't dwell on it, but I just want to highlight a few things about John the Baptist. Uh, finally, the opportune time came. This is uh, uh, from earlier on. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders. I just want to highlight this. And the leading men of Galilee, the political structure of Israel was very complicated. The Romans overall and the Sanhedrin allowed to rule over the Jews in a specified sphere of things that they could do. We'll come to that a bit later. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. In that chapter, it's also said a little bit earlier that when King Herod heard about Jesus... Uh, who had become well known to him, some were saying that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets far far away, uh, um, sorry, of long ago. When Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. This is what he was thinking, that who Jesus might be. Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. He had him bound, put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. And then the rest of the story where John was beheaded because of that whole scene. We'll return to that in a few moments. So we, that's the relevant backstory. Now we come to the question itself. Uh, first, we want to notice that they had no intention of learning from Jesus about the, the matter, the way it's phrased. It sounded like they were a group of them were trying to understand what he would teach on a particular dispute that was going on uh, between several groups among, among their interpretations of the Old Testament. They came, in my suggestion, as an intention to entrap him and gather evidence that would lead to his arrest. The verse says this, some Pharisees came and tested him, uh, and that word could be interpreted to entrap him by asking, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, you're reading in the Gospel of Mark, as always when we're studying the Gospels, you have to compare what's being said among, uh, from the other Gospels as well. In this particular point, or, uh, uh, question, Matthew 19.3, telling the same story, added, for any and every reason. So they were asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And there is a backstory around this. I alluded to it. There were two uh, theological schools through which ever every Pharisee would be trained in. One was the Hillel school, named after its leader and chief rabbi, and the Shammai school. Uh, what, what this is about, and we need to be brief in understanding it, but uh, there, for the Jewish leaders, uh, if someone wanted a divorce, if a man wanted to divorce his wife, they, there was to be a certificate of divorce issued for the protection of the woman in the situation and their culture. Uh, when the Old Testament was referring to uh, the background of the verses that the, uh, the Pharisees were arguing about, uh, the word that was uh, being used in the verse we'll look at in more detail in a moment says they would issue one for something indecent, meaning nakedness, and possibly, possibly and, a thing. One of the schools took the, op- took the uh, uh, interpretation of this, that there were two separate and distinct reasons that a man could divorce his wife. Uh, and they treated those words as two different things, that you could divorce for adultery, in other words, and any other reason. And so that was the reason for the question being framed as they did towards Jesus. And again, we need to understand the trap that they were using in this, in this regard. All interpreters, pretty much that I read anyway, refer to back to the, the verse that was in view in the Old Testament about divorce came from Deuteronomy chapter 24. And you'll notice a couple things about this, that in, in that debate they were having centered on this in this chapter, it's not really a, a, a manual on divorce and remarriage in Old Testament Judaism. It was a reference to uh, a situation that Moses was addressing, and it's complicated. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, notice that the male domination of what Moses was having to address here, their abuse of power, and it's all about the man uh, finding something indecent about her, and he, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. The honoring of that, that certificate would have been the responsibility of the leadership of Israel. Then her goes on and on about the story. And then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God who is giving you uh, this, uh, uh, you as an inheritance. So the question, back to the question with these, this background to us, it was a very much a leading question to get Jesus to agree that divorce should be granted. And, to, and they, their intention, obviously, as well, was it didn't matter how Jesus answered the question, that they would win in their collection of evidence, and it would give them more power to convince the Romans to put Jesus to death. 
so we're going to look at that briefly and not to get into too much detail here. But if Jesus answered the question, no, he would be doing a couple of things. Uh, they would, as a result, be able to uh, prompt Herod's personal actions from the backstory that we read earlier. They would be able to help try to get help from Herod himself because of what he had, John the Baptist had told him and so on the story went. And the Pharisees would get help from him uh, because he thought John the Baptist was back and, too, and he too should be uh, put to death. They could have created, separated more general support to their end game with Roman authorities in general. Uh, they would be able to accuse Jesus of inciting rebellion against what Rome had granted to the Jewish leadership. If Jesus answered yes, they would be able to claim that Jesus was ignoring their laws, that were the power that was given to them by uh, by the Romans, and under that law they could act, and their interpretations of it on this particular topic. And if he answered yes, you can divide, the, the, not only grant divorce, but offer it to uh, to all all men for any reason to divorce. Uh, that would give them empowerment uh, to help get Jesus rid of, based on uh, his over-trumping them in the interpretation of Old Testament law. I'm not going to read this whole section, uh, but uh, I just wanted to, to highlight a few things. Uh, the verses continue from verse 3. What did Moses command you, he replied. In other words, he didn't answer their question, did he? He did something quite different. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law that we just read in, Matthew, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So notice he's not just talk, correcting them on, on the strength of men and the weakness of women in marriage situations, but that he was reminding them that God created male and female to be united, uh, separated from mother and father, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, uh, let man not separate. So Jesus turns the trap on them and, in my words, does a couple of things. He says, haven't you read and focused on your creator's words? He's there as the man Jesus, but he's trying to demonstrate to them that when he speaks, he's speaking as the divine son of God come to teach men and women about God and God's creative creation uh, design for the marriage situation. And I think he's also asking the question of them, and we need to ask that question of ourselves this morning. Why are you so entrapped that you cannot see Jesus for who he is? We, we're not just reading a Bible story about a great man. We're reading about the one who came from heaven as the divine and eternal Son of God to come to not only bring us light about the nature of God and his creation and his purposes for the men and women he created, he was here to uh, win a salvation uh, for every man and every woman because of their sin, among which one was adultery and divorce, among all the other sins that men and women commit and are responsible to, to God for as they uh, get entrapped and they cannot see all who who. Jesus was bringing uh, uh, to them. 
I just want to, this uh, slide didn't turn out very well, but uh, yeah, I'll have to read the parts to it. But the, the framework for thinking here, it gets confusing and it is a complex topic to study. And all I have time for this morning uh, to tell you simple, along with uh, simple stories about myself to illustrate a point is to look at the, uh, the, the broad picture of what God is doing in, in Christ right here in his response to them. The first three things I want to highlight are the first three areas of Scripture that the Pharisees would have been uh, under, would be understanding as background for them when Jesus answered their, his, their question the way he did. Uh, these threads start with creation, as we just noticed. Uh, the Old Testament law we want to have a real quick look at in a fallen world. The, the, the laws made out to Israel are in light of the fact that every man and every woman sins before him. And then Jesus teaching for his people. And lastly, we'll give a brief apostolic application. This is not to make us all experts in handling matters of divorce and remarriage within the church. It's not intended, but it lays out the foundations for us as well in that regard for your own study. And we can talk about those things later. It seems like such a, a small thing in today's culture to try and work on the notion of marriage between man and woman as it's laid out in the Gospels and all the, all the fury and division that's in our society today about uh, uh, gender and all the different people look at as what that means today. For me, I, I want to simplify it very much and say God cares for every man and every woman on this earth to know him as the prior, prior thing. That's the priority in all of our lives and relationships is that we help each other find the Lord, his salvation and uh, and a hope of eternal life found only in Jesus work at the cross of Calvary. The rest is the stuff of this life, the messiness of life and how we navigate through that is so complex and different in different situations. But that's the overarching thing I I try to look at is uh, where is this person? Where am I? recognizing who it is when Jesus is here, and he is here, how we respond to him. Genesis 2, we just read it on the next slide. And uh, I'll, I'll skip to the third, uh, next, uh, the second category, the Old Testament law. God's commandments, it's not just about marriage and divorce. It's about uh, the sin that men and women have. One of those in the list of Exodus chapter 20, 20 when the when the Old Testament law was being given to the nation of Israel, uh, God commanded, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. Next in the Old Testament, I've highlighted not everything that's there. I just wanted to highlight a few things for us all. You shall not commit adultery, repeating that. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. It was a very serious in God's eyes as to how this break of a relationship that was vowed before God uh, is, to be, uh, is to be dealt with. Fort- oh, I'll leave my comment aside. It's interesting in Psalm 51, looking through the rest of the Old Testament, how this is treated in Scripture, and you need to read a lot to uh, come up with other things in this in this area, but Psalm 51, a psalm of David, a psalm written after the king uh, uh, 
king was appointed, King David. Uh, and after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he wasn't put to death. God was gracious to him and he forgave him for what he had done. And he worked through him in all the ways he had promised. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And this from Proverbs chapter 6, 30, 32 uh, written by King Solomon, who wasn't just married to one wife, as we all know. He writes this, but a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Uh, how, how you put that together? Whoever does so destroys himself. God is gracious throughout the whole Old Testament to his people and to all who sinned before him. Jeremiah, I just want to highlight uh, that uh, the nation of Israel in their life through the whole, whole Old Testament, they committed adultery, as God describes it, in a spiritual sense. And in that spiritual sense, they were committing their lives to Baal and to wood and stone and idols of all makes and kinds instead of worshiping God, the true God. And God condemns them. He punishes them. He sends them into exile on all those Old Testament stories because he had made himself known to them and they rejected him and walked away from him. And so he had to walk away from them. Malachi chapter 2. I'm, not, I'm short of time here. Malachi chapter 2. You ask why? Is it because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth? Because you have broken faith with her? Though you, you had your... Marriage covenant has not the Lord made them one. Again, back to creation. And God continues, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break, break faith, not only in your marriage vows in that relationship, but over and above all in your relationship with the God of heaven, that you are not adulterous in the spiritual sense where you walk away from him and uh, forsake him. must have been uh, some kind of trap that the Pharisees were in when they approached Jesus that day. They, they went to a Christian, sorry, I mean, they went to a Jewish school. They wanted to find God and yet they ended up in this place that they were in trying to put the Son of God to death and then trapping him uh, in the question that he asked. And so God responds to them in Christ. He, in Point three here. Uh, my teaching and he talks about his law and his application as the one who was before them. And then <clears throat> as you, you work on, and I'm, not, I'm going to skip the technical part of this. Uh, we've kind of covered it. Uh, he addresses them in, in an indirect way, but he's claiming to be Jesus, the son of God, as he speaks to them. And then they return. Uh, he, they, he knows their hearts. He knows that they are entrapped in their, in their own adultery and no doubt uh, from other chapters in Scripture of their own making in their own uh, relationships with women. And they are also entrapped, and that's his main point, is you are entrapped in your adultery of worshiping, worshiping others than me, uh, the God, the Son of God who is in your midst. That was his uh, parting words, to, uh, uh, message to them in the way I understand what's going on in the scriptures here. 
So now Jesus comes to his disciples, and, and now they're in a house. They're no longer in the presence of the disciples. And Jesus enlarges on helping them answer that question that the, the Pharisees asked him. Uh, and he says this. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So once again, Jesus sets the, his creation it, it, uh, intent in place. And then he also, uh, he also outlines to them that it's adulterous to uh, commit a, a adultery against one another. Uh, the, the exception clauses to that, in other words, what, what uh, he was teaching the uh, apostles, uh, the disciples at that point, to do in Matthew chapter 27 in the next slide. And these you, I know you can't read these slides, but they're there for your study. I just want to emphasize what Jesus said, said about some of these things in other places. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Um, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And then he says, but I tell you that in Matthew, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths and vows you have made to the Lord. <clears throat> Uh, the Apostle Paul, who was a trained Pharisee, by the way, and he was brought up in the school of, uh, of uh, Gamaliel, who we believe was from the, the, the University of Hillel and brought up in those traditions. He, he uh, wrote in 1 Corinthians, and I would say this is a bit of an addition to what Jesus had said, but seems uh, uh, re reasonable. And I'm going to leave those scriptures for you. I'm going to come back to it on a slide that probably should have been here. Uh, let's do it now. Uh, I'm going to skip a slide for the sake of time. So in this uh, breakdown of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul addresses the married Christian people, and then he addresses, uh, addresses the mixed marriages situation. And uh, it, to the first uh, group in, the, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Why, the wife must not separate if does, she is not to remarry, but be reconciled. A husband is not to divorce his wife, a basic repetition of what Jesus had been teaching. And then he says, if you're in a mixed marriage, for whatever reasons those occurred, uh, if the unbeliever leaves, uh, you are not bound. And presuming uh, along with that came the freedom to re remarry. Now, when you come to our world today and church leadership and dealing with these matters, I'm not trying to address that today, but let me tell you that we've uh, faced these situations in our in our lives together here. And uh, point one is we are looking for people who have given their life to God. And that's the number one thing. And then the number two thing is to help people preventatively first in having a good marriage relationship and a good relationship with all the people in every dimension so that we don't sin against one another in our relationships together uh, and then we'll, we'll have to leave it at that for the sake of our time this morning
Let's just close by a couple of summary points. What entraps us that keeps us from Jesus? We are all, we're no different from the Pharisees. We are sinful people. And we can be blind, we can be serious in our intent, but blindsided by the things of this world, by the, all of the attractions that it has to offer, and forget that our prior relationship is with the God of heaven for now and for eternity. It begins when we as individuals accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the one who died on the cross of Calvary. He is there for us. He's there for every person on the planet. He's calling out to them, us all, to know him, to live for him, and see God's eyes of grace in a love and bride relationship as the Scriptures teach it with him. We are to protect with the commitment and diligence our vows made to God and also in our marriage. We made these vows. We stood before an audience and our, those vows are to be, we're to do our best to maintain them uh, and to not only maintain them, but make our marriages uh, the wonderful place to be that it was designed to be. Uh, God's grace, we've covered these things. Ooh. I'm pointing this all over the place. Nothing's happening. Now we're into music. Uh, let me just finish with these. God's grace, love, and forgiveness extends to all. God is the judge of all, not us. Even in the difficulties and complexities of this life, God is ultimately the one seeking a relationship with us and the people who are before us. And we are to remember that God is the judge, not us. We are there to share the love, the grace, the forgiveness of God and help people find the Lord in their lives. We are to reflect the Lord, therefore, in our attitudes, love, and acceptance of his work according to his time in the lives of all people. We are to seek the highest good in everyone's journey before the Lord. And our highest calling is to fulfill our vows to the Lord, to live in his grace, truth, forgiveness, and long relationship, loving relationship with him and reflect that in the way we treat, look at and treat others. Let's... Uh, have the music group come up and uh, I will say our closing prayer now for the sake of time. <clears throat> Let's pray, shall we? Dear God, our Father, <clears throat> we are before you as a, as a, a very humble uh, people who know how great you are. We know that through your creation. We know that through your, the word that you have left with us uh, so many years ago. And you're also with us in the power of the Holy Spirit and the influence of your teaching to us these days to know you and to live you for you and serve you. We just pray that you would help us all to uh, not judge others where we are not to be the judge, but we are here to help and to serve as Jesus called us to do. Father, we pray that you would keep us from things that would prevent us from seeing you that are so uh, widespread in our own lives and we need to be all humble before you and have our minds and hearts challenged by your word, by your spirit, by the influence of our Christian friends who help us along the way. We just pray that we'd all bring honor and glory to you for all you've done and all you are to us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church 
where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.